If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open up. We're going to go Matthew 6, uh, 25 through 34. Uh, I want you to open up your Bibles because I want you to know that I'm not making any of this stuff up. Uh, that'd be the first. The second thing we want you to know about our church, if you're kind of coming back in or you don't know a lot about us, the Word is the most uh, foundational piece to all of our services every single Sunday. The heartbeat of our church is not me coming up to tell you a lot of cool stories and jokes and uh, application and all. The Word is the primary thing that we stand on at our church. So we ask that we read it beforehand to let you know that it needs to be the loudest thing that you hear today, not my voice. So let's read that together. Matthew 6, and then I'll unpack what we're going to do with that today. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, and what you will eat, and what you will drink, nor about your body, which we will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what we're doing today, we're kicking off a three-week series uh, called Silent Killers. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about anxiety, anger, and unforgiveness. These are things that are really carbon monoxides to the soul that can kill us uh, spiritually or, 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 or suffocate us spiritually. Uh, and these are things that we all wrestle with. Uh, today, specifically, we're going to be talking about anxiety. And this is a, a buzzword in our culture today. And I think a little bit of anxiety is, is kind of normal. I think it shows that we have a pulse, that we have care, that we have concern. Uh, but I think for most of us, the case is that we don't have a little bit of worry. I think we have an overabundance of worry that cripples us and it enslaves us um, in this life. So let's do this. Let's be transparent with one another. How many of you would say that you wrestle with anxiety, worry, and stress, and it's something that regularly consumes you? All right. So here's the cool part. If you, uh, if you raised your hands, don't envy everyone else around you because they have a worse problem. It's lying. Okay. So... Uh, <laughs> Listen, this is, this is something that we all wrestle with, all right? I'm just being honest. If you did, maybe you were too tired to raise your hand. You're like, oh, it's too early, man. No, everyone in this room has some level of anxiety, stress, and worry. That is who we are. We worry about things like marriage. Will we ever get married? We worry about our children. Wow, there's a big one. We worry about money, about our 401k, about our careers, 
Uh, we worry about future, college. Uh, we are, are a people that are immersed always in things of worry. And we're going to talk about today where these things specifically come from. Here's a couple of statistics I read this week as I did some, some work studying. 75 to 90% of all doctor visits are stress and worry related. Uh, headaches, backaches, uh, stomach disorders uh, will result back to stress, anxiety, and worry. 366 times in the Bible, Jesus says, fear not. So this is something that is very prevalent and we're all uh, privy to it. So when you have an issue in the world today that's a problem um, and you want to find a solution, what do you do, right? You Google it, right? Isn't that what we all do? We get on Google and you Google. And what we came up with as we did this this week, there's over 300 million results about anxiety. 300 million. Uh, now, opinions are like armpits. They, uh, everybody's got them, and they often stink. So you have to weed through uh, what opinions are. And we're not going to deal today with speculation on how to deal with anxiety. We don't run to bookstores and Dr. Phil and Oprah to tell us how to deal with anxiety. We're going to deal with God's revelation in his word. Uh, before we deal with this word, let me say some really uh, defining statements about how our church views this word of anxiety, all right? Uh, as I said, this is a hot topic in our culture today, uh, and we are, we, are, we are never going to want to err into two different ditches in relation to anxiety. Anxiety is never a 100% physical issue. Like, you can't just always say anxiety is only a physical issue, and you also cannot say anxiety is a 100% spiritual issue. It's just a lack of faith. We cannot go into either ditch when we're talking about anxiety. It's a two-pronged attack, and uh, what we're not going to deal with today is clinical anxiety. We're, we can't go into the medical aspect of it, unpack it for a couple of reasons. I'm not a licensed psychologist. I'm not a licensed therapist. Like, I can't unpack those things. Now, don't get me wrong. I can give good biblical counsel. Like, you come to me. I can give you great counsel. It's pretty direct. It's from the Word of God. You come in and you say, hey, I don't know why I woke up the next morning um, in the back of Silverado wearing Crocs and a back tat. I don't know what happened. I was just drunk. And I, I know how to give counsel to that, right? Sir, you just need to stop getting drunk, and you don't need to come see me anymore. Uh, that's your prescription. Don't get drunk. I can do that all day long. Uh, but this requires a different level of counsel that we are not uh, privy to do uh, to walk through the medical aspect of these things today. So I think it would be ignorant for us to not acknowledge that anxiety, uh, there is a clinical side to it. If when sin entered into the world, if every single part of the world has been flawed by sin, including the human body, back aches, headaches, foot pain, uh, you name it, our whole body has been marred by sin, would it not be ignorant to, to, to think that, that the brain hasn't been uh, marred by sin as well? Of course it has. So what is that look like it looks like uh, things like chemical imbalances, mood disorders, crippling uh, anxiety that balls people up and they are incapable of functioning in the world for several different reasons. Uh, if that's you and you, you often find yourself uh, unwilling to leave the house, 
uh, staying at home and in the fetal position. You can't leave. You're just so consumed with anxiety and worry. If that is in fact you, uh, you need to seek professional help. It won't do any good for you to try to battle this thing on your own. And what we're going to do today, uh, Rodney Wilson, our family counselor at LifePoint Church, is going to be with me at our Next Steps area after to try to help walk through and navigate through very blurry lines between what is clinical and what is in fact spiritual. So in that realm... The hope is this, if that's you, you kind of fall into the clinical anxiety, maybe a professional has diagnosed you with some serious things that are, that are valid, uh, we would want to encourage you that your problem is not 100% physical, that you need to lean in to the spiritual aspect of a healthy life in the hopes that one day that you might be able to wean yourself off of a medical treatment, um, if at all possible. That's the hope for you. Today you'll be able to lean away from the crutch of medication and the medical profession, um, and you'll be able to lean in on the crutch of Christ. That's our hope for you today. Uh, Because the reality of this is the other side of the coin. We are in the age of quick fix, aren't we? Quick fix, and medical professionals um, are quick to misdiagnose or diagnose for personal gain sadness Bad things that happen and are quick to pull the trigger and write a script for those very simple life things and call it clinical anxiety or clinical depression. That's the culture that we live in, right? So we must, we must have a proper wisdom and discernment and balance as we wrestle through these things called anxiety, stress, and worry today. So as I said, we're going to really zoom in on uh, the, the garden variety of anxiety, the anxiety and worry that Jesus speaks about in this passage of Matthew today. So let's, uh, let me pray and, and really tell you what the plea and what we're calling you to do today uh, is simply this, is to lay worry down and to lift Jesus high. It's a, it's a pretty practical thing, and we'll unpack that as we go today. But the, but the mindset is, if you could think of this, that, that calling uh, you to lay worry down, calling myself to lay worry down, if I lay worry down, my hands are empty. My hands are free. And if I do not occupy my hands with something, they'll just go right back to picking up worry again. So what is my solution? What is the cure? In the laying down of the worry, we must lift up Jesus in our life. He is the ultimate cure for the sin of anxiety and worry. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the text today. Father, we uh, are thankful that, uh, that you've brought these people here today by purpose, not by accident. And as we press in, uh, Lord, to your word, which speaks directly into very sensitive topics, things that will pierce the heart, that may cause uncomfortability in the room, I pray that you, be, you become the great counselor today in your word, that you bring people who are wrestling with fear and stress and anxiety unto yourself, that you begin to heal them. Father, I pray for those as we go through a spiritual diagnostic that thought that they were okay, that really don't think that they're consumed with worry at all. I pray that you break through those concrete hearts to show them that they might be captivated by fear and worry and stress in the hopes that they would see the disease and would look for the cure, which is Jesus Christ. 
He's our only hope. So, Father, we open your word, we study your word, and we trust that it has the power to move people to you today. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's go. Matthew uh, 6, 25. And let's read this together. We encourage at our church that you uh, bring Bibles. We encourage you to do that because we know our devices um, often distract us as we walk through here. So I want to encourage you to do that next week with us. Uh, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing now, in John 10, 10, Jesus says that he came to give life and give life abundantly. And here where he's going to begin to press in is that worry, anxiety, and stress are life suckers from this life that Jesus has promised to give us. They are the silent killers in our life. Um, and so he just says out of the, out of the gate, hey, just don't, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Sounds a little idealistic, right? Sounds pretty simple, Jesus. Uh, but the, the, the point of this to understand that we have to start with a, with a foundation is this, that worry and stress and anxiety were not in your DNA at creation. These things that we wrestle with, worrying about money and kids and future and stuff and all these things, it wasn't in our DNA at creation. Genesis 2 and the creation mandate, uh, God created this perfect and good world, right? Adam and Eve in it to occupy, have dominion over the earth. There was no marital strife between Adam and Eve. There was relational peace, marital uh, perfection. There was nakedness without shame. Eve didn't get uh, headaches, right? There's no fighting going on there. You know what I'm saying? There's safety between them. There's security in the world. Even the labor that Adam's doing in the garden doesn't seem laborious to him. It's just natural, right? There's all these things. There's no worry. Like Adam wasn't worrying about what Eve was thinking, uh, and Eve wasn't worried about what's she going to provide for dinner, or wor- what about the kids, and there's just no worry. They're not worried about stockpiling for the future and what's going to happen. There is no worry in God's perfect and created world, but that only lasted about two chapters, Right? Adam and Eve wrecked it all. They kicked God off of the throne and said, we do not trust that you will provide for us. We do not trust that you're good. We kick God off of the throne, and then they occupied it, and then what happens? Worry. Sin comes to the world, and sin fractures the whole thing. Now there's worry. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What about our kids? What's going to happen in the future? Will God provide? Will he not provide? Worry birthed into the world through one man's sin and has infected all of us. That's the reason everybody in the world worries. It's not because of life experiences pressing into your life that just makes it hard and then you worry. No, sin is the reason, the foundational reason why we are worriers in the world. It's important to know that. Why is that important to know that? Because if you don't know what the core root disease you have in your heart is, you won't ever know the cure. And the cure is this. As Jesus is going to begin to speak profoundly, that you, outside of a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have no shot at any victory over worry in your life and anxiety. You have no shot. Sorry to rain on your parade. You have no ability to have any substantial tranquility in your life 
you'll have bursts and you'll have moments, right? You might be in one today. Everything's great. It's loving this. It's short-lived. And pretty soon, worry and stress and anxiety will invade that space. Only through believing that God sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to die for the forgiveness of sins, to rid you of your guilt and shame over your sin of anxiety and worry, that you have any shot of moving forward to what Jesus is getting ready to say. That's important because if you're just kind of coming to church looking for behavior modification and you're like, okay, well, tell me how to get better at anxiety worry. Listen, I got nothing for you. I have nothing for you at all. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, a surrender and giving, you have no shot. So you're, if you're not a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you're, my plea to you today is get right with God first so that you have a shot at anything to overcome stress and worry. So let's keep moving. We know what happened. Um, we know why we have worry in the life. So here's where Jesus goes with this. He's speaking to first century Israelites, and he tells them to not worry about food and clothing and the body. Well, you're, if you're here today and you're like, check, I don't, I don't worry about that stuff. I don't worry about food. I worry about where to eat my food, but I'm not worried where my next meal's coming from. Clothing? Psh, I just threw something on today, right? I, I don't care what people think about me, my body, whatever. I, I'm not worried about any of those things. I'm going to caution you not to check out because this is very relative to you. The first century Israelites, they were worried about their food. They were worried about provision, where these things in the life were going to come from. And Jesus is saying, listen, don't worry about these things. I am your father, and I will provide for you all of these things. But what is, what is he doing in this text? What is he pressing in in this, in this moment? What he is pressing then, the first century Israelites had a propensity to give a greater value to food, to clothing, to their bodies, a higher reverence for those things than to God. They begin to worship those things above God. So he's cautioning them in this moment uh, to not ascribe too much value or worship food and clothing in your body. Why? Because when you do that, that is what you become consumed with worry in. What you worship determines what you're going to worry about. That's the principle he's beginning to teach. So let's transition to 2018, right? Because even though there's a reality in the world that there are some places where food and clothing are real things to press in, for most of us, that is not what we're struggling with. So let's talk about some of those things that we do wrestle with. What are things that we can ascribe too much value to, and by doing that, we in fact are worshiping that thing. Let's call it what it is, okay? When we ascribe more value to anything or anyone more than Jesus, then we are worshiping that thing. What are those things for us that often creep into our life? Here's a good one, money. That's a very simple one, right? Man, how many of us in here, we don't have to show the hands again, I'm sure it's clear, have one point in your life worried and stressed about money, where you're going to pay the bills? I'm paycheck to paycheck. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how the kids are going to get 
school money. I don't know where we're going to come from this. I don't know where our next meal is going to come from. I don't know about their college education. I don't know how we're going to fund these things. I don't know how to afford the mortgage payment, the car payment. Money is such a, a truth to this that we can translate that if we have an improper view or a value of money above God, it will consume us. Our lives will be marked with worry. So if we're talking about worship, which is what we're talking about, if you're consumed with money, where it's coming from, how to get more of it, how to keep it, because it makes you more happy, that is what you worship. How do you know if you worship money? How do you know? Like you might be like, I don't bow down to money. I'm not sitting at the altar of cash and just kind of, I'm not doing that. How do you really know? What does Jesus tell us? How do we give us our litmus test to if we worship money or not? Here's what he does. He does something absolutely brilliant. He takes us through a litmus test while simultaneously funding his mission across the globe. It's called the tithe. He says, you want to find out if you worship money? Tithe. That's all you got to do. If you love money more than God, you won't tithe. Your life will be consumed with money. How to get more of it, how to keep what you have, because it makes you happy. And you do not believe that God will provide for you. So then you take it in your own hands and you chase it. You fill your life with more money. So the litmus test is this for you today. If you're kind of like, is he talking about me? If you don't tithe. Yes, I'm telling you that money has a grip on your life. It is in a direct, disproportionate relationship with God because you're saying, I don't trust. Giving 10% of my income, that's ridiculous. No, this is not a pragmatic thing. This is a heart thing. This is a heart issue that you do not trust the sovereign God of the universe to give him your money because you don't think you'll be able to provide. And the brilliance is his simultaneous funding of his mission upon the earth. So it's a great, brilliant thing that he does. So there's a question that you have to ask yourself today. Do you tithe? Do you give above and beyond? This is not just you simply disobeying a command or a suggestion from God. This exposes a darkness and an unbelief in your heart that God will, in fact, provide for you. And I pray today, that's a practical piece. Now, be careful because I'm not taking up an offering right now. All right, so relax. Kind of take a deep breath. Oh, he's getting ready to pass the basket. Uh, no, that's at the end of service. All right. Uh, but I don't, we don't do that because we, we need your money. And I'm not doing a campaign in here today. There's no building fund happening. No, this is for the good of your soul and your heart to show the way that you can be cured from the love of money is by beginning to tithe. And give generously above and beyond. If that's something you need to do. And every week when I talk about it, it just made you just like, ah, would he stop talking about the tithe? Listen, I've been there. It's not a good place to be. It'll continue to drive you in a place of worry and it will consume your life. Help us to, or we will help you walk in through that. If that's something you want to have a conversation with today, go see someone at, at Discover Life Point at the end. What's another one? Stuff, possessions, homes, cars. Those things, when we start to worry about those things, they are indications that we have ascribed a too high of a value in those things and, in fact, worship those things more than God. Have you ever remembered a time in your life 
where you were broke as a joke, like you didn't have a lot, and then you had, and there, what, you didn't have a lot of worry because you didn't have a lot of stuff. Your possessions were, they weren't really anything, but then all of a sudden you started to get nicer things, and you started to care. You know what I'm talking about? Like I, when, when I got married uh, to, to Callie early on, I drove a 1978 Toyota Celica, and it was junk back then too. Let's make sure we're clear on that. It was just junk. You know what it didn't come with? Worry. I never worried about anybody door dinging me in that thing. Like I would, you know, hitting a barrel, a construction barrel on the side of the road, it didn't bother me at all. Oh, it's just a barrel. I didn't worry about where I parked it at Walmart. Oh, God, he's going to door ding me. He's going to scratch up my paint job. Like I didn't have any of that. But then we uh, decided to take financial matters in our own hands and we go get more debt and go buy a new Suburban. Well, you know what comes with that, right? Worry. Oh, where am I going to park this thing? Oh, it's got a scratch on it. Get the armor on. we got to wax out the tires to make it look really, really good. Kids, don't throw chicken nuggets and fries on the floorboard. My life begins to be filled with worry and stress about something. Why? Because I have ascribed too much value in it. It's just a car, y'all. That's all it is. So much to the point, I will share a story with you uh, because I drive a 2002 Tundra right now. It's got 270,000 miles on it. But one day, uh, so some men in the church thought it would be funny to go outside and put some deer parts on the rearview mirror of my car. It was horrible. It smelled disgusting and as foul as it was. You know what I never thought about? Oh, my truck. It's a truck, Right? So what you ascribe to, if you ascribe too much value to that thing, your life will be marked with worry. Your house, if you ascribe too much to it, you, kids, take your shoes off. Don't color on the walls. You will scramble around and you'll be consumed with your house. What about your lawn? What about your lawn? If you want to get Yard of the Month Club and you just spend all your time worrying about this blade of grass and it's going to look good for you. Man, you know all that is? That's just worry and stress. Why? Because you've ascribed a higher value in that thing that you were not created to ascribe value in. Those are, these are ways that we can litmus test and find out, do we have an issue with possessions and stuff? Are you gripped by losing what you have? Because if you lose it, you won't be happy anymore. If you do, you have a worship problem. You worship stuff. If you constantly are pursuing, accumulating more stuff, I got to get the boat, I got to get the car, I got to get the the next house. If your pursuit is those things or are those things, that is a clear indication that you have ascribed too much value to stuff. Now, we've stayed somewhat impersonal. Let me tell you one that might sting just a little bit. Your kids. Our kids, right? I'm I'm, I'm a father of four. I've been there. I've done these things. Uh, When we ascribe and place a higher value in our children over Jesus, then we will be consumed as parents with anxiety, stress, and worry. You probably saw it this week, back to school week, right? And you see moms and dads gripped with anxiety and fear and worry. What's going to happen to my children? How many of you parents in here today have gained anything by worrying about your child last week? Not a single soul in the room. Not one of you can say, I'm so glad I worried about that, right? We don't do that. 
But as precious as our children are, I'm not saying they're not good gifts from God because they are. Psalm 127 says they are a heritage from the Lord, a gift. I've got four kids, so I'm, I guess I'm very gifted according to the psalmist. I understand them. I, I get the, the tension and the balance between loving your children. But what we're learning here in this text is that we cannot place our children over Jesus. Because when you do that, it is called idolatry. Let's call it what it is. And it will mark our lives. We'll run around like helicopter moms and dads all day long, tracking the kids, hovering over them. Oh, I love my kids so much. Don't you see how I'm hovering my whole life over them? My life is consumed with care and love of my kids. No, that's not. That's not trusting that God is sovereign and he is good and he is their father and you are a steward of his children. And you do not love him more than him. And that will only reveal and it will, it will take you down a pathway of your life being marked with anxiety and worry and fear. And that's not good for your child. Because there's no child that's thanking their parents for helicoptering over top of them. There's nobody doing that. I'm so thankful you're everywhere I go. I'm so thankful you're tracking me on your iPhone. Right? No, no kid's saying that, right? It's not good for you because it's not good for your soul. It's a silent killer, right? So we have to begin to walk through these things, how we can be ridded um, of these things as we press in. Now, the good thing about anxiety is that it, it can reveal these, uh, these sins of idolatry that is in us. It's, so it's almost like we just walk through this spiritual diagnostic, this MRI that has exposed in us possibly uh, where we fall short of the glory of God. So what do you do with that now? Maybe that is you, and you need to know walking through, what do we need to do to take the next step? So let's look at Matthew 26, 32. Jesus is going to give us a case. He's going to state a case for why we shouldn't worry, including anymore. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory had not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So here's what Jesus is doing here. He's using a dialect in his Really, he's providing a case, right? And what this is called in the Latin is called argumentum a fortiori, which means it's a case of argumentation on a greater than, less than argument. So he uses two things. He says, the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. If I will provide for the least of these, like the lilies and the birds of the fields, if I will do this for them, how much more do you think I will provide for you? See, you are created in my image. The birds, they don't look like me. Animals do not bear the image of God. Why is that important? Because everybody knows that, right? Because some people are prone 
to place the value of animals over humans, right? I guarantee there's some people on PETA that value animals over people. And that's just dead wrong. Jesus says, you have been created in my image, human beings, to have dominion over all the other animals. You are far more precious to me than the birds. So if I feed the birds and the birds are not stockpiling 401ks and collecting more stuff because they're worried. Like birds don't worry. They're not scrambling around. Oh my gosh, where's my food going to come from? If I do that for them and the birds trust me, don't you think I'm going to do that for you? And listen, this is not a, an invit or a permission uh, to fall into laziness, right? And say, you don't have to do anything, right? Just God's going to provide, he's, like he feeds the, the birds, he'll feed you. No, it doesn't mean that. Birds are very active. I don't know if you've ever watched birds before. They're busy, right? You don't see lazy birds unless they've been hit by a car or something. They're just kind of laying in the road. Birds are busy. They're working, 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 but ultimately they know that God will provide for them. And that's the case he's making here. Will I not clothe the lilies of a field? If I clothe the lilies, don't you think I'm going to put clothes on you? Right? He's, he's stating a case of if, if the lesser thing is true, how much greater is the greater thing? How much tr more truthful and great is the thing that is? Here's the doctrine that he's unpacking in this. This is called the doctrine of providence. The doctrine of providence, the providence of God, the invisible hand of God providing all that we need. And this is a core issue of not understanding of the providence of God is the mother of unbelief. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you don't believe that, if you really don't believe that the invisible hand of God is not only creating the universe... He's sustaining it. He's actively interceding in your life to put food on your table, to give you a job, a career, to clothe you, to give you everything that you need as his child. If you do not believe truly that, then your life will be consumed with worry because you think it's all on you. Now, once again, this is not a permission to not work. That's not what this is about. You definitely have to work and you have a responsibility in that. But that's a secondary uh, need to understanding the providence of God that he provides for his own. See, we don't believe that God created the earth and the world. He breathed life into creation and then just kind of sat back and took his hands off the world. Just sitting up there unemployed, absent father, watching everything that happens down here. That's the free will of men. Let's just let them do whatever they want to do. Run and rule chaos in the world. That is not Christianity. That's called deism. That's called deism. And we are not deist at this church. Christians, in fact, are not deists. We believe that God spoke the world into existence. And he's actively sustaining and interceding on behalf of his people on the earth. And this is a core foundational reason that gives birth to the worry and stress in your life i promise you if you press into that right there that will begin to expose your heart do you really believe that do you really really believe that god is going to provide for you do you believe he's going to put food on your table and provide for your children give you enough money 
that he won't leave you hungry, that he'll give you everything that you need, not what you greed for, but he will sustain you. Do you believe that truth? And I would tell you that every moment of worry and fear and anxiety is a direct assault against the character, the nature of the sovereignty of God. That's the core issue of unbelief right there. Of all of our anxiety, our worry, this is the mother of unbelief, not believing that God is sovereign and he is good. That's it. So how do you get deeper in that? Like, listening, listening to, to fuzzy, feel-good uh, devotions for the day, surface-level Christianity, you're great, you're awesome, you're created in God's image, and all these things. Listen, that won't get you to this. Those will not help you survive in the days ahead. You have to go deeper into the Word of God. You have to study the deep character, the nature of God. You have to study stuff that you don't digest out by Monday, but stuff that sticks to your ribs. And you read it over and over and over again. The character, the theology of who God is, that He's sovereign, He's good, He will provide for you all of these things. And that is the root issue um, as we see this truth that we must begin to tap into. Look what he says in verse 32. He says, the Gentiles seek after those things. So what is he saying? First of all, Gentile is an unbeliever. So anybody in this world who's not a believer and a follower of Jesus, they seek after these things. They seek after food, clothing, money, job, possessions, kids. They, they take it in their own hands is what he's saying. He said, that's what Gentiles do. But you're not like them. You've been set apart Don't act like the Gentiles. Don't act like unbelievers is what he's saying. You must trust that your father who has adopted you and has chosen you and set you apart will provide for you. And don't run around and forget that God is sovereign and he's good and he is for you. Let's keep going in the text here as we'll close out in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he begins to give us the cure now. All right, we know the foundational principle is an unbelief on who God is, but then he starts to give us some practical steps in fighting anxiety, stress, and worry. And what does he say? He says, man, seek the kingdom of God. So he said, lay this worry down, lay it all down, but you're out empty-handed, as I said up top. You you have nothing in your hand. If you're laying worry down, something's got to occupy these hands. Because if they don't, I'm grabbing right back to taking things in my own hands again, worry, stress, anxiety. So what does he tell us to do? To lift up Jesus, to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek Jesus. What does that look like? You, because what you seek will ascribe your worry. As we've talked about, if, if I seek money, my worry will come with that. If I seek uh, life in my kids and I find purpose in my kids, worry will come with that. If I seek possessions and accumulation of more things, then that's what, that's what will consume my life. But if we seek the kingdom of God instead, above all other things, 
That is the cure for long-standing victory over anxiety worry. So what does seeking the kingdom of God look like? That's kind of a, a figurative thing. Man, it's seeking kingdom things. It's getting involved at our church. <laughs> it's, it's doing things like this. These are kingdom things. This is what seeking the kingdom of God is about. Coming and committing to this gathering on Sunday. Absolutely, that's seeking the kingdom of God. But no, it does not terminate upon this seat on Sunday. It takes next steps, getting in a community with one another, seeking help, seeking restoration, uh, serving the body, giving to this church, using your gifts, studying together the deep things of God, getting in a men's group, studying together, getting in a women's group, studying together, personal uh, devotion to studying the word every day, personal prayer life. Taking seriously the commands of God, seeking after the kingdom of God. When you begin to do that, and that becomes your focus of your life, you will see stress and worry and anxiety begin to melt. You won't overcome these things by discipline, right? You can't say, I'm not going to be worrisome so much anymore. My New Year's resolution is to stop worrying. That won't ever work. You won't discipline yourself to do that. You must discipline yourself in seeking the kingdom of God and doing kingdom things that will purge out the worry and the stress and the anxiety of our lives. And as he closed that, as I said, how many of you have added to your days of worry? There are going to be a day where believers stand before Jesus Christ, and we're going to look back and we're going to say, how silly was it that I was worrying in that place? How silly was it that I worried that my kid went into kindergarten at that time? I remember when I did that. That was so silly. How, how silly was it that, man, I didn't think we were going to be able to pay the bills that day or that God wouldn't provide? All of these silly anxieties and worries will begin to melt away. It doesn't change the weight, clearly, of what we're dealing with today. We all wrestle with these things, but the hope is that we're be starting to have some victory over these things in our life. I'm going um, to pray in just a moment, and we're going we're gonna to respond in a little bit different way today, um, because what we're calling you to do is to lay worry down and to lift Jesus up. So that sometimes comes out in a way of posture. Posture, there's power in our posture sometimes. So today, during a response time, if that's what we're calling you to do, some of you today might need to lay some things down. It might be money that you've pursued and chased and you've ascribed more value to than God. It might be possessions. You've placed way much greater emphasis on those things than the pursuit of God. might be your kids, right? And I don't mean you physically are going to leave your kids at church and leave them here. What I mean is... Figuratively, lay those things down in your heart. Confess those before the Lord. God, I've got to put them in their place. I have got to put my children in second place or third place behind my spouse. Right? I've got to do these things because if we can't do that, we have no shot at moving forward. So as the band is going to come up, we're going to call you and ask you if you feel led today to get up and move. I'm not manipulating movements, but if you feel led today just to come up and, and bow 
here um, on stage to get down at the altar, if you will, uh, pray at your seat, get on your knees. A lot of different ways that you can do that. I want you to feel freedom to do that as showing a posture of confession and repentance today. Um, and then God will begin to loosen the grips that anxiety has on your life. And then after that, uh, we are going to celebrate this morning with a baptism. Uh, we don't have one of our traditional baptism Sundays today, but we do have a young lady who, uh, who wants to get baptized, and it is, a, it is of an importance need today that we do that, and we're going to get to celebrate that together as well. After that baptism, we will take up um, our offering. The ushers will move forward, and those baskets will pass. If you would give to that the cause of Christ, we talk about that. That's what tithing does. It fuels the mission of God, and it simultaneously frees your heart uh, from the love of money. Uh, if you've done that this week, thank you. Uh, I would ask you the last piece here is if you're a guest of our church today, would you come and stop on the way out at the Next Steps wall on the right? I'd love to meet you today and tell you thank you for coming. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll continue to worship. Father, we are uh, very thankful for your word today, and it is often uh, just cuts through us and taps into the very uh, sensitive areas of our hearts. We talk about personal things and money, and money can be good and do a lot of great things in life. And Father, having stuff is not a sin in itself. And Father, truly our children are gifts from you. So we embrace all of these things, but Father, we want to put them into their proper places. Forgive us when we've ascribed too much value to them. For when we do that, we know that we are bogged down with worry and stress and anxiety. Father, we long for Jesus to return, to lift up all of our cares, all of our anxieties, all of our burdens will be cast away forever and they will be no more. Father, thank you for this church and we pray these things in his name. Amen. We'll see you next time.